the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hello and welcome to an episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. I am your host, Melissa Obrotka, your U.S. hygienist, and we're doing things a little bit differently today. I am going solo. Uh, my girl Tabitha will be back very, very soon, but we have a very special episode for you today. We are going to talk with one of my freaking gosh, how do I even introduce this woman? She is absolutely incredible. She is a very, very important person in my life, a dear friend, mentor. And uh, I met my friend Eileen Prizzy when I had uh, went on maternity leave with my daughter, Mia, who is now 18. So she and I go way, way back and we just connected. And even though she was the woman who was, you know, taking my spot while I was gone, we just made a connection way back then and, and always kept it close. So um, today I invited Eileen to come on and uh, because she is just what I call a total badass and an amazing upper level, out of the box thinking clinician, I wanted her to come on and share with our audience, uh, especially for our new hygienists that are about to enter the field some of the things, uh, some of the great advice and the pearls of wisdom that that she could depart on new clinicians as they enter the field. So hello, Eileen. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Oh, and, Melissa. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so why don't you first just kind of share with us like why dentistry? How did you get here? And tell us a little bit about your background. Why dentistry? Okay. Uh, why dentistry? Well, I, I was blessed with some nice teeth. <laughs> you know, we don't get everything, but we get some things. And, and I was blessed with nice teeth. And so we went to the dentist as kids. And my hygienist, Linda, was very, very um, inspirational to me. And so I would say that was my first touch with hygiene. Um, our family dentist was great. And he invited me to work there when I was 16 um, dentistry was a lot different, but, um, it gave me a lot of experience and it ignited the passion that I had for teeth and, and health. So that's, that's kind of where it started. That's awesome. That's amazing. So what made you decide, you know, that, that decision to just being in that environment made you decide to go to dental hygiene school. Talk a little bit about what got you there. Um, well, to be very honest, uh, you know, I'm, student book smart and, and clinical smart, there was a little bit of a disconnect sometimes. So it was a choice between um, being a hairdresser and and whatever else. And my parents were like, look, I had a PhD and a master's, right, as parents. And they were like, no, you have to go to college. So I said, okay, two-year program, I can do this. I, you know, I like teeth, I can do this. And then it just it just grew from there. And I have not looked back and I've been a hygienist for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> and, and I am pleased to report that I still love it. I think that there's a lot of opportunity, even though we are at a stage where it is a tipping point and graduates have to understand that. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of offices that are doing things 
the way I learned them back in the 80s. And that's not a good thing. And some of the mentality of hygienists, the pick and polish, goodie bags, no cavities, see you in six months. Um, that is still, unfortunately, too pervasive in this profession. And it's helping to destroy our credibility and the advancement of, of what we can do for our patient population and their overall health. Yeah, no, 100%. You definitely are you know, always been my support system and, and that, that voice in my ear really kind of pulling me and pushing me with oral systemic. You were, you know, outside of the little bit of introduction I had in school about it. I mean, I graduated in 99 and we were taught that, you know, obviously that bi-directional relationship with diabetes and perio, but, um, you know, outside of that, we really weren't given all that much. We learned a lot about, uh, different, diseases and, and oral, you know, all different health conditions, but we didn't really make the connection with dentistry and how they were connected, you know, thyroid and all those other things. For you, you have always been that for me. So share, share with our uh, listeners that's how that started for you. So how, how that got started, um, you know, when you when you see all this blood and actually this will probably freak some students out. But when I went to hygiene school, we didn't wear gloves. Um, and when you had that much blood on your hands, um, there was something wrong. And it wasn't until um, I was out of practice and I had some people that had heart issues and and whatever they the tobacco smoking Um and we did the scaling and replaning on them. And they had taken away the, the pre-medication. And within six months to a year, I had three patients who passed away. And I thought, oh, my God. I, I mean, I didn't think I killed them. But I did think that those germs and those pathogens and the inflammation, I didn't know what it was. But I did have one patient at that time who came in who was 32 years old and he had problems with his heart. And at the time before Dr. Oz had a TV show, um, he had seen Dr. Oz and Dr. Oz, the first thing he said was open your mouth. And he would not operate on this young man until he had four quadrants of scaling and root planing under antibiotic cover. Wow. And that lit a match in me. I went to a seminar, the Dale uh, Bonin method in New York City. And from then on, I have just been banging the drum. And sometimes people think I'm crazy and I don't get it and whatever. I don't care. Um, you can save a life as a dental hygienist. Amen. Yes, you can. So having that experience and, you know, unfortunately in hygiene school, you know how it's, you know, especially in a two-year curriculum, it is so jam-packed and there's so much we have to teach in such a short period of time to these new clinicians. What do you do? Because we also didn't mention that you are currently a clinical adjunct professor. Um, so I see this is where I miss my Tabitha. She keeps me on point with these things. <laughs> But yeah, so Eileen is currently a clinical adjunct professor. Uh, she is a fellow New Jerseyan. So she is at Bergen Community College in Paramus. And um, talk to me a little bit about like what you saw when you came back into the academic arena and knowing the things that you know now about oral systemic and how you really kind of introduced or kind of helped shift 
that culture within the curriculum in this institution to really bridge that gap with oral systemic and, and helping this, the next generation understand what this is and, and the impact? Um, th that's that's an interesting question because you have curriculum that's in place. Um, you have to you know bring it out in a certain way. So yes, I stay up to date on what's coming out and I, I don't go with hearsay. I go with the kind of facts and from, you know, well-credentialed and, and well-studied um, facts, you know, that, that are presented. But the biggest thing is I try to ignite the passion of the hygienist, of the student, um, when they bring in their first patient, which is usually a family member or a friend. And we go over this complex medical history and their hygienist had never, or their dentist or, or their doctor hadn't told them that periodontal disease makes their joints hurt because this bacteria is in the synovial fluid that, you know, it, it links it to Alzheimer's. Are you, you know, do you have a parent or a grandparent that's suffering from this? And if you can link back to them and show them how a loved one could have avoided or, or should have been told that, that gets the hook into them because they're going to be treating somebody else's parent. You know, if you can prevent offset, inform, make a recommendation based on your assessment, you are more than just what I call a profi monkey. And unfortunately, it's easy to be a mediocre profi mon monkey. It boils my blood that I get paid almost the same that they do. But if you can really make a different in difference in someone's overall health and prevent them from you know pain and suffering, it, it, that's magic to your day. That's, that's, that's your calling. That's why this is a profession. It is not a job. And too many hygienists get into that rut where this is a well-paying job. And the fact is, is that if they don't educate their patient and if they don't inspire them to take care of their oral health, that they are stealing from that patient. They're stealing their money if they leave things behind. They're stealing their health if they don't educate them about periodontal disease. And really, they're, they're enabling these people to be sicker in the yeah. future because they could have prevented. That's what we're supposed to be, preventive mid-level professionals. Yes, yes. I mean, that's that's what we're taught, right? Everything Healthcare professionals, not yeah. just auxiliaries to a dentist in a dental office. A, a healthcare professional that sees their own patients, has their is a provider of care, and everything that we are taught in dental hygiene school is centered around disease prevention. We also know how to put disease in remission, but our core objective is to prevent that from even occurring. And with the statistics being that 50% of our American population has some form of periodontal disease, age 30 and above, we are not doing a great job at that. And that statistic is 10 years old. So I would definitely argue that that's probably outdated and rather higher at this point. You know, not only is that probably higher, but the age is lower. I can't tell you how many 15 year olds I see with active perio disease. Um, and it, it, it's, it's setting them up for a lifetime of ill health Absolutely. and they, and they don't get it. I mean, even little kids, yes, cavities, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? If that kid has a healthy mouth, then they can go into their future with their whole body, having a better opportunity to be healthy. It's not just about cavities and this and that, you know, if you're not taking the time with a child 
okay, here we go with GBT. But if you're not showing them the germs and having them brush it off and maybe even having them smell their toothbrush, you know, they don't get that this is making them sick. Absolutely. So I got to give a shout out to Eileen too, because she's got some, she's got some methodologies that she's been using in her operatory for a very long time, way before, you know, she just mentioned GBT and, and with the GBT protocol, uh, we have our guided biofilm therapy protocol. We have built into it, uh, disclosing an oral hygiene instruction right after uh, to do the things that Eileen is mentioning, but um, she's been disclosing for a very long time. It's something that she really never let go of from hygiene school. So kudos to you on that. And share share what you've done with oral hygiene instructions before with the brush and the floss after you've done them with your patient with Tell Show Do. Oh uh, well, we we would always we would always color their teeth, and of course we had the the toned one. So like they would always say, "Oh well, I didn't brush after lunch." <clears throat> Excuse me. So, okay, that's that's fine. Okay, so then that'll show up light pink, but yesterday's lunch is going to show up dark pink, and the day before that lunch is going to show up blue purple. <laughs> so when you <laughs> you can't get over, and when when they see it in the mirror, and you take intraoral photos, and it's on the screen, and you make that big, um, they they get it. And honestly, that doesn't just work with children; that works with adults too. Um, they have no idea what is growing and creeping and crawling on their teeth and going into their bloodstream. They have no idea. And shame on the hygienists that have not taken the time or have not been allowed the time mm -hmm. to really educate their patients as to what is growing in their mouth. Yes. Um, but I would have the, the, the patient then brush the teeth and, you know, a younger person, you could say, oh, cavity, this and that, but especially in the teen years or beyond, you know, you brush twice a day, you brush at night so that you don't get the cavity creeps, whatever, blah, 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 cavities, this and that. And you brush in the morning so you don't stink. And, and they, they kind of look at you. So you have them brush their teeth with a dry toothbrush. And once all that blue, purple, and pink from the colonies that they brushed off are on that brush, you say, now, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to let you smell this. And their face is priceless. <laughs> and then go, you don't smell this because this is in your head, but this is what other people smell when they talk to you. I will tell you that is the most effective method that I've ever had or, or <laughs> incorporated for compliance because those patients come back and they are changed. And you know what? That makes your job easier appointment to appointment subsequently, because when they're doing what they need to do on the daily, your job is not so hard when they see you twice a year, whatever recare regimen you have them on. So, you know, it's... And Honestly, too. And if you when you tie it into the debridement as well, I don't let them rinse until they see all the blood in their mouth, because, you know, we do what we do. We know what we see. I give them the mirror again and say, see where all that blue was. Do you see how that's bleeding? That can't be healthy. So unless you make that real, take that five minutes to make it real. That's a life changing experience. And it organically enriches the productivity of the hygiene department because when you diagnose disease properly and help patients understand it, they commit to care that is outside of their traditional insurance benefit. So 
when we do a bloody pro fee for someone, because that's what the insurance is going to pay for, that's not treating the patient's disease. You're just monitoring disease. So, you know, it's like if you had, if if I told you eating this apple every day is going to stop you from getting cancer, would you eat an apple every day? Like, yeah, you would do it because you don't want to go through chemotherapy and have the risk of, you know, losing your life or being super sick and fighting that battle, stopping working and all the things that subsequently happen during that time when you're getting treatment. And yes, this is not as severe and that's why it gets poo-pooed. But what we know now is that it leads to that severity. Periodontal disease is a contributing factor to activating cancers. It's that chronic inflammatory response that's going to trigger those cells and activate that disease. It's all about that individual person's host response. So we no longer have the option to say, I don't have time to do that. It's our responsibility to do that. And we have taken an oath. Exactly. And what's going to end up happening is the insurance is already catching on. And yes, they're stupid because they don't want to pay for things. I get that. However, they're going to get to the point, they're going to get to the tipping scale where they realize that it needs to be more of us to help them with the medical side. So take the extra minutes, do the proper oral hygiene instruction, Make sure that the patient is understanding and document accordingly. If they're not going to commit to care that you're recommending, you know, document that. If they continually do not move forward with care that you're recommending, that's the time to have that conversation with the doctor and say, hey, what is our intention here? What are we doing? How do we move forward with this patient if they are not committing to care? Um, and, and, And graduates, by saying to your patient, Here's your brush and your this and that. You have to know your products. Don't forget to floss. That is not hygiene instruction. That toothbrush must be in their mouth. They must feel the pressure. They must know the location. You are doing them no favor if you just tell them. Because remember Charlie Brown and the teacher? Womp, 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 womp. That's all they hear. Well, we might be dating ourselves by by making that reference. Some I hope Charlie our, Brown never goes out of date. Some of our, yeah, some of our listeners might not know what that means. But we actually, um, Tabitha and I did an episode on um, oral hygiene instructions. We actually have had a request to do another one, which we, we will absolutely do in the future. But um, it's about kind of like the bias that we have with oral hygiene uh, instructions and the products that we like. Uh, I'm trying to see what episode number it is. It's uh, number 15, the one we talk about ditching the home care bias. So um, if you want to go back and listen to that episode, it kind of tags in with what Eileen was just saying. So Eileen, let's go over. We've got, we've got, let's pretend it's a baby, baby hygienist Eileen just stepping out into the world of dentistry like many of our new grads are right now, what are some of the pearls of wisdom that the hygienist Eileen now knows that she wishes she could have departed on her former baby hygienist version of herself? It's interesting. Thank you for that. Um, There is a shortage, yes, that provides opportunity. But at the same time, there's also a great pressure for you to conform to a practice and how they see things. And so the the thing that I cannot stand is, oh, well, that that's what you were taught in school, but that's, that's not the real world. 
Well, let me tell you something. The, if the real world is putting out mediocrity and is not, you know, protecting you and your patient with the proper infection control and not protecting the patient with comprehensive medical um, questionnaires and follow up, um, then then there's a, pro a problem. So, yes, you're going to go out there and you're going to try and, and get a job. But let me tell you something. You need to interview the practice, even though you don't have the experience, you need to interview the practice as well. And, you know, I wish I had the courage at the time to say, okay, well, what does the operatory look like? If you're in a closet and you're going to break because you can't perform your ergonomics, you know, that's not okay. It, oh, can I see your instruments? Well, if they're all of the old, old metal handles, the tips are worn down and there's no edge and they, they don't even have a probe on the tray. And you wouldn't even be able to do a pedicure with them. That's a, that's a no-go. That's a non-negotiable. The other thing, too, is you don't have to necessarily ex accept the job. You say, okay, you know, why don't we do this? Why don't we work a day together? You want to see the flow. You want to see how people talk. You want to see how the team interacts. You don't want to sign up for something and then either get fired or have to quit. You know, right. date, date before you, you commit. That, and you have that opportunity. You know, you want to see what kind of x-rays they take, you know, how often they do it. Do they still have an old machine? Are they dipping, you know, to, to is oh it not digital? You know, you're, you're bringing some really good oldies back. When my first uh, but it's still job, I was dipping x-rays. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it is still out there. And that blows my head, but it's still out there. So, you know, you have to not have attitude, but you have to make sure that you're working in a practice that reflects your excellence. Yeah, absolutely. And, and honestly, you can be, you can be the change agent. If they're not taking blood pressure, well, go out and buy a $50 blood pressure cuff and do a screening and you do it because your that's license. your license. Yeah. If they're not using patient eye protective eyewear, you better get out there and buy your own protective eyewear to put on your patient. You and you know what? Yes. Yes. So in a positive way, you can be a master of change. So that's a great, that's a great comment right there is that, you know, if you go into a practice and you see things that are lacking, that doesn't mean you have to conform to that. Bring your ideals, your change. Don't, don't unlearn what you've learned in school because school is that foundation and it's the standard of care. And I think what a lot of clinicians forget because when we enter the real world, it is so different. And yes, dental practices are businesses and businesses need to make money in order to thrive and grow and survive. And that all, I get it. That's, you know, we're all out there making money and producing and, and, and bringing things to the table. However, we are in healthcare. And it should not be at the uh, compromise of taking care of the person that we have the ability to serve in front of us. And, you know, you really just have to look at each person. What would you do for your, your loved ones? What would you do for your family members? And, you know, universal precautions, should, it should be universal care. You know, you should treat every person in that chair like they are your loved one because they are someone's loved one. And, you know, if, if you're in a practice where that is not allowed to happen, or you have an admin team member who is a non-clinician who does not know what you know, telling you what to do or what standard of care should be, and it's not what you were taught, 
it's okay to stand up and say, no, I will not conform to that. And the other thing is the, the amount of time for the appointment, because you can't do a drive through. And secondly, the hours that you work. They, uh, you know, a lot of offices, and as you say, the non-clinician who schedules you, you know, they're going to give you 30 minutes for a profi on a 19-year-old who who could have full-blown out perio, but then they have you working from eight till seven or eight at night. Your body cannot handle that. Please don't accept that because if you break, they put you on the curb and they get someone else. What does that do to your car payment, your mortgage, your rent, and your quality of life? Which, by the way, another big thing for a student getting out, get your individual disability policy while you're not broken and while you're young and while there's the better rates for it. Because as hygienists, we do break. Oh, yes, we do. I broke 10 years in. Yeah. And, and, and the ergonomics that you learned in school, don't put them out the window. Th those will save you. Make sure yeah. you stretch often. Make, take those breaks, stand up, turn your wrists, all those things. It's all important because like, yeah, you could compromise for that one person to get you through the hour, but then that happens for the next patient and the next patient and the next patient and they're comfortable and you took care of them and you've pleased them. But then you go home with your back aching, your body aching, and you, you know, you can't do the things you want to do and have the quality of life you want to have outside of work because your body is killing you. Like even just going out and gardening, but you can't even do that because everything hurts and you just need to lay and, you know, go, go see a chiropractor or a massage therapist once a month, take care of your body, budget that in. It's an important piece of, I mean, what we do is physical. So it, you definitely need to, to have another layer of taking care of yourself. Um, I definitely did not do that. And, and, and I broke 10 years in and, you know, there's things that I had to do to make sure that I could continue working because I still had to support myself and my family. But it's, it's scary when, you know, you use your hands for a living and you can't feel your fingers. It's really scary and uncomfortable. And, you know, it's not some place you want to be and it's avoidable. And that's the key is that it's avoidable. So invest in yourself, it is important. And sometimes people say, well, I can't afford to do that. You honestly, you can't afford not to. You cannot afford not to. The other thing too is, Melissa, you said it's a physical job. It absolutely is 100% physical. However, you also are going to add in there that it is, it is mental. You have to think, you have to be on your toes, you have to be connect the dots. And let me just add on to you, it is emotional. These people come to you over and over again. They tell you things that they don't tell family members. And sometimes you carry this on your heart and you can't get it out of your head. And you need, you need downtime to process that as well. I remember, you know, just going home at the end of the night and just sitting in my car in the driveway for 20 minutes in the silence, just to let all that dip from the day drain. So balance is key. If you keep running, you're going to run out of steam. You have to not work crazy, crazy long hours. And you have to let your body and your mind and your spirit rest. It's balance. And if you don't have to find the balance early on, you break. That is superb advice. Absolutely. And, and I see too, a lot of uh, hygienists, they're just coming into the field, they're just so excited that somebody is going to give them an opportunity to work. 
and um, you know hire them and take them on the team that they don't they don't realize the power that they have in what they agree to and, and what they don't. So, you know, ha- decide before you go on the interview. You know, do a little back end homework. How much how much money do I need to survive? Right? How many hours do I need to work? How what is my bottom line? And then go from there. So know that before you walk in the door for the interview. So it's not like you're flying by the seat of your pants and agreeing to an an amount of money that actually doesn't really work with your budgeting. And then you now need to work more hours in order to, you know, hit the bare minimum that you need to sustain life. But let's break that down too, Melissa. I mean, if you go out there and you get a job that's top dollar, don't you think that how many people they're going to make you see for that dollar, those dollars per hour. So if you got a little less money per hour, but didn't have to see four people in an hour, which is a drive through, you, you don't want to work in a practice like that either. Definitely. That's so, a great you know, yeah. Cause I mean, you can be carrying your Louie bag and, and having your butt in a Beamer, but if you're not caring for the people in your chair, shame on you. If yeah. you earn your money, if you earn it by being a health professional, Go for it. Have three Louis bags and have two Beamers. But well, if, if you're doing that at the expense of people's health, they're they're paying for care. They're coming to you. They trust you that you're doing what needs to be done. And if you're not in a situation or you're accepting that you're not going to give them what they deserve, shame on you. Absolutely. And I think there's a culture of dental hygienists that, you know, especially new ones coming into private practice that we we kind of put on them in school because you have requirements, you have competencies that have to get done. So you feel this pressure every semester to get these things done and get them done under a time frame. And the more appointments it takes you to see a patient, the less time you have to meet those requirements to get that done. So the the students are always like, I need to get this patient done today. And they write up their treatment plans and they have a treatment plan that they're going to complete a patient in one visit. However, that patient is presenting with four quadrants of active periodontal disease and they need initial therapy with local anesthesia. And this is going to take time. And, and there's this discrepancy. And, and as a clinical adjunct professor, I could tell you being on the other side of that chair and having these conversations, I've felt pushback from students where they're kind of like, uh, no, I don't want to do that in private practice because they maybe have a taste of it already as an assistant or being in an office in some element. And they're like, no, if this patient was in my practice, we would have seen them in one day and been done. But that is missing the mark. And that is also missing the production in the office. So a hygienist who is diagnosing periodontal disease and then getting a patient to commit to that treatment and coming back for four quadrants is how many more times productive than a profi? So when you just meet the needs of the patients in front of you. And remember that statistic I mentioned earlier, 50% of the population, 30 and above, have some form of periodontal disease, and it's probably higher than that. If you look at each patient with a critical and objective approach, keeping that statistic in mind, how many perio patients will you be seeing in a day versus profi patients? And that's a way to keep yourself on point with that. They don't have to be done in one day. And, and that's a cultural thing that you bring to the table because of the structuring of our dental hygiene curriculum. And I apologize for that. And we also don't, we don't teach enough about coding and what that means, because a lot of times if it takes you two or three appointments to treat a patient, we might teach you in hygiene school to code it out as, you know, quadrant scaling. But 
you in your mind think, oh, I'm just not, you know, I'm a student, so I'm not fast enough or good enough to get this done in one appointment. And that's not the case. And, and, and let's, let's go to that. Let's go to the words. Okay. Because, oh, you're new and you kind of maybe feel like a little imposter, right? You can't, you can't oh, yeah. do it. What are your words? I can't, it's not bad, bad. But if you frame it, the patient deserves, the patient needs, the patient, the patient, the patient. If it's always about the patient, you cannot go wrong. If you say, I can't do it, or I this, or I that, then you're the problem. You always want to deliver the best for the office patients, right? Because this makes the doctor look good, and this makes the patient well cared for. Yes. So another thing I want to raise awareness of, in the United States, um, for general dental programs, they get dentists get about two weeks of dental hygiene education and clinical curriculum. Two weeks as compared to our minimum of two years, if not longer, depending on the program you're in. Who is the expert in dental hygiene in the dental practice? I'm not going to argue periodontist is a different animal. They've done advanced training in periodontology, but in general dentistry, you are the expert in dental hygiene. We, we actually, th that proves out, Melissa, because we actually had um, one of our students and her, her doctor came in as one of her patients. So I did the oral systemic, the healthcare. And when I looked at the dentistry in their mouth and connected, you know, missing back teeth to snoring and GERD and this and that, his eyes popped open. He had never heard these things before. And honestly, my student is training to be his future hygienist and she's going to get anything she wants because he wants to now gear his practice to that kind of treatment. And so you can be such a positive change agent. Don't be the traditional kind of, Oh, what the cleaning it's your six month cleaning because there's too many of those out there. Yes. Yes, 100%. So one of the things that I like to say to new uh, graduates too is is kind of sit down and write, what's your big purpose? You know, why did you go to hygiene school to begin with? What do you want to achieve now that you've graduated? What did you learn? What did you realize that you could do that you didn't know going into it? And and keep that, that in your oath that you take as you've just graduated. Those are your two things that are your guiding light and force. So you're going to be uh, matched with some unethical things. That's going to happen within your professional career. Hmm. And instead of sitting there spiraling and having and hawing over, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Go back to that. That can always be what guides you. And if it doesn't agree with those words that you took in your oath, then it's not something that you do. If I can share with you also, don't be afraid to be fired for doing what's right. I mm. have been fired. <laughs> I survived each time. I do not regret being fired. I did better every single time. If what's going on in that dental practice does not align with your core values and your talent and your skill and your knowledge, bye-bye. You have to Absolutely. put your pillow on your head at night. I, yeah, you have, you have to put your head on your pillow. See, if you're tired, you don't really, the difference, you'll just fall down. But, 
but you <laughs> you just you have to just keep that integrity and that high standard definitely definitely any other uh, pearls of wisdom that you could have put upon baby hygienist Eileen oh you know there's so much opportunity going forward but there's just as much opportunity that now that no one's watching and you're not getting a grade for you to slip and not do and gloss over, don't do that. Be excellent. Be a blessing. That's how you're going to get satisfaction out of what you do. And please, in the future, you need to speak up for what hygienists can do and not be one of the ones that is silent and happy with the way things are. Because honestly, the way things are going to change too. There is a, mu a movement to allow assistants to do what you just went through two years and took boards to do. Yeah. Um, so, so the hygiene is being chipped away at, where in fact, science and medicine is saying hygiene should be elevated. So what side are you going to be on? What, side, what direction are you going to take this profession? Because it can easily be dummied down even further than it, it, it has, is going, or it can be elevated to something that is really great, rewarding, fulfilling, and really a blessing to people and monitoring and moderating the healthcare costs in this country that are out of control. Just what we can do with diabetes and Alzheimer's prevention. Mm -hmm. it's it, it's amazing and just please keep learning you know you have a foundation you have a base i learn every day and embrace it you know you're you're always going to be a, a learning sponge and that's what keeps this fresh and that's what keeps your passion burning definitely definitely so um speaking of learning two books that i definitely would like to share and we've talked about this one on the podcast before uh Balin Donine's Beat the Heart Attack Gene that's uh who Eileen had mentioned earlier you can listen to it on Audible you could purchase it you could do both whatever set your heart on fire uh, but they actually just released a book this recently like maybe a month or two ago i'm halfway through it it's called Healthy Heart Healthy Brain uh, the personalized path to protect your memory, prevent heart attacks and strokes, and avoid chronic illness. And uh, this is just more of alignment that we cannot look beyond the mouth. We have to reconnect the mouth to the body and understand the implication of disease and chronic inflammation and what it's doing to our overall health. And we have the opportunity to screen these patients every time we see them for that and segue them into and raise their under our awareness and understanding. They don't know what is going on in their mouth is impacting their health on a systemic level. Um, we're moving to precision medicine. We can do things like salivary testing. We can do more precise genetic testing. For God's sakes, everyone knows what a PCR is now because of COVID. That's the kind of information we can get to have precision to really curate care to our patients based on what is exactly precisely in their mouths and their genetic predisposition to disease. So, I, I mean, it's just going to go higher from here as technology and science advances. Melissa, too, the other thing that's a very big push right now is oral care as primary care. So they are trying to get doctors to start screening in the oral cavity. The, the problem is, is that they're also wanting to have non-hygienists and non-dental people 
be able to, you know, screen and do fluoride treatments and, and whatever else. Hygienists have to speak up, but it absolutely is part of primary care. But we have to be involved in that, too, because who knows better, as you said before, who knows better than we do what we've just learned, the boards that we've just passed. We should be in primary care and maybe not just in a dental office. Think about that in your future, little hygienist. Yeah, provide health care. Be a healthcare hygienist. We say that on this podcast often, um, but it's up to you to do that. There's not going to be, unless you push yourself or you have a great mentor or a great group to help push you. And that's part of why Tabitha and I created this podcast is, you know, to be able to have that. We were just kind of going on our dental nerd learning journey and sharing it with, with our community. Um, but we're here for you too. So, you know, if you have an ethical question or if you need a little push or shove, that's that's what we're here for. We love getting your messages. So feel free to reach out to us at any time, either uh, via email or on Instagram or, you know, whatever avenue you can contact either one of us with. But we are here to support and help you. We are better together. And we all, Eileen has said this to me for years, we all have our own magic. And when we put that magic together, amazing things can happen. So the future is very, very bright for us. There's always negativity and that's always going to be present in this world. Um, but you have a choice. So you get to choose the way and the direction and the path of your professional career. Don't forget that. Um, and now more than ever do we have a choice because we are in high demand. So if something isn't working out and you've tried to make change and you've exhausted those outlets and it's just not moving the needle, then it's time to, to look to a place that your gifts and your talents and your ideas and your standards are accepted. They are out there. Believe me, they're out there. You just have to do some work to find them. So any uh, closing remarks, Eileen? Any, any comments you want to make or any last little pearls of wisdom? <laughs> I think this is great. Stay true to yourself. Be a blessing. Um, make sure that you can always put your head on your pillow at night, knowing that you did the best for the person in your chair. And, um, you know, if, if to be right is to be different, then by all means be different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I just want to say thank you for taking some time out, Eileen, and, and sharing these great pearls of wisdom for the next generation. Um, and you know, uh, Eileen is, always sharing. Uh, she's on Facebook. So if you wanted to follow on Facebook, um, she posts a lot. We have a New Jersey dental hygiene healthcare group. She posts a lot of great things in there. Um, so yeah, those are, those are places that people can find Eileen. And uh, like I said, always send us a message and we love, love, love to hear your reviews of the podcast. So please, wherever you're listening to podcasts, if you, um, want to share how much you enjoy it, we love to read it. So please, leave us a review, make sure you subscribe. And I just want to say um, a closing note. Um, thank you so much for being patient with us over the last couple of months. It's been, as many of you know, a challenging time. And um, Tabitha is going to be back in action very soon. We have, we're going to be recording a new episode together in the next coming weeks. So um, we just really appreciate all of the love, all of the support, all of the kindness, and especially your patience with us. Um, you know, it, it's, it's been an extremely challenging time and, and we are very grateful for all of your kindness and love. So in the meantime, 
Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Uh, if it's your first time, welcome. And if you've been here before, welcome back. And we love you and keep on disrupting. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.